Well, without a doubt, we can say that womanhood and motherhood are two facets in our culture that are very lightly esteemed. In fact, they're pretty much despised. I mean, people stumble and fumble all over themselves to even describe what a woman is. If you've watched the documentary by Matt Walsh, you know, he asked that question, people were like, uh, uh. A few years ago, it wouldn't have been hard to say what a woman is and describe what a woman is, but apparently that is something very challenging in our enlightened, sophisticated, and civilized world. And certainly when it comes to the aspect of motherhood and, and, and wanting to be a mother, we see that that is probably one of the least important things that our culture says a woman should aspire to be, a mother. We call them a birthing persons nowadays, because I guess anybody can be a mother to some degree or another, right? Such is the lunacy of our world. But here's the beautiful thing if you're in Christ, right? We have God's word as a standard of all that is true and right, right? So we don't, we don't go down that path. We don't go into the descent of darkness and, frankly, stupidity that the world goes into, right? Because they don't have the truth. And so our world lies to our children, it lies to our girls, it lies to our woman about what a woman should be, how she should present herself, how she should live in the world, what kind of woman she should be. And frankly, our young men struggle to then figure out, well, what kind of woman should I marry? And I don't know if you know this, there's a growing movement among men uh, saying, we don't even want to get married. We don't want to pursue any of the women out there. They're not worth our time. They're not worth our trouble. It's, it's more problems to go down that path. So they choose to say, you know what? We're, we're not going to do that. That's where our culture is today. That's where our world is today. And in the midst of that, you and I need to be people who hold high in high esteem God's word as the ultimate standard for life and practice that defines for us the roles of men and women, that defines for us what a man is, what a woman is, what is womanhood, what is masculinity, what is femininity, because our world has a very distorted outlook upon what that is. Now, It's not going to surprise you that Proverbs has a lot to say concerning these very same things. God's word affirms and holds in high esteem beauty and the dignity of womanhood and femininity. Certainly, motherhood is highly uh, esteemed in Scripture. And, And the wise woman and the mature woman is someone that is praised and extolled in all of Scripture. So as we close out this series over these two weeks, we're going to look at that theme of an excellent wife, the Proverbs 31. But it's not just mentioned in Proverbs 31. We're going to see it here in Proverbs chapter 12 in the context of this where young men are encouraged and motivated to avoid making a wrong marital choice and to make a wise marital choice. If they make the wrong marital choice, then they're going to go down a path in life that is going to cause them trouble because the wrong woman could break them. But conversely, the right woman can make them, right? So we're going to look at that today, and next week we will look at Proverbs 31 and explore the rich meaning that has for both men and women. So Proverbs, the 12th chapter, we're only going to read verse 4. Hear the words of the living God. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Read it one more time. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this particular proverb is interesting. Uh, We shared way back in how to read Proverbs that when we read them, we see that usually... Proverbs has two things that it is either comparing or contrasting. Two parallel lines called columns in which one looks at, you know, the first line and then the second line will either compare or contrast what is there by way of simile or metaphor or other literary devices. We kind of get a deeper understanding of this wisdom nugget that is being shared with us here. Now, in this one, these two parallel lines, there's a relationship being contrasted here between two types of wives, two types of wives. The first type of wife is an excellent woman. 
The second type of wife is one who causes shame to her husband. Let's call her a shameful wife or a disgraceful wife. These are the two that are being contrasted in this proverb. And they're contrasted by two metaphors as well. Metaphor of a crown and the metaphor of rotten the bones. All right? Think of cancer. Okay? Decaying bones, right? Uh, bones that are, are disintegrating, if you will. And what that begins to give us a picture of here now, we're looking at two types of wives defined by two types of symbols or metaphors here that reflect that these, both of these wives have a particular effect on their husband. And the effect is on the status, the, the man's status, the husband's status, and the well-being of their husband, for better or for worse. One's effect here, we're told, that of the excellent wife is external. It's outward. It's visible to the community. She's a crown to her husband. We'll explain that a little bit more here shortly. The other's effect, the shameful wife's effect on her husband's status and well-being is inward, internal. It's deep. It's not visible to those outside of the community. It's likened to rot inside of the bones. Okay? One's is an exterior blessing. The other is an interior blessing cancer. The excellent wife will produce a crown for her husband. Okay, What does that mean, a crown for her husband? Well, ultimately what it stands for is a strengthening of his social standing and honor in the community. The shameful wife is going to do the opposite of that. She's not going to produce a crown for her husband. She's not going to be a crown for her husband. Quite the contrary. She's actually robbing her husband of social standing and honor in the community, but specifically in the home. No crown for him. The way she behaves, the way she acts towards her husband, how she belittles him or disrespects him actually saps him of his strength. And it eats away at him like a cancer from within. Now, this is, of course, metaphorical. It is symbolic language here. But it's not hard to get at the the, the cusp of what Solomon is trying to tell his son with this proverb, isn't it? Like, which one would you rather choose, son? You know, an excellent wife who's going to strengthen you and increase your social status and standing in the community, or would you like the foolish wife, the disgraceful wife? She's going to bring shame to you and dishonor, and actually what she's going to do is kind of destroy you from within. Well, the choices should be obvious, Right? Choose the wise wife, right? Choose the excellent wife. That's the point of the proverb there. Now, it's going to be helpful for us to define what is meant by an excellent wife. When we think and use the word excellent, we think of something that is very good. We might even say it's, it's awesome, right? It, it's, it's a great thing. We talk about excellent Mexican food, right? Is that what's in mind? When we talk about that, it's like, hey, that's really good. In what? In comparison to other Mexican food. We have our favorite places around here. We have frequented them all. All right? The word in Hebrew, though, conveys something a little bit richer, as you can imagine here. Now, ESV renders it an excellent wife, but other translations kind of give a different variation to the term here. The NIV renders it a woman, uh, a, a wife of noble character, a wife of noble character. Uh, the King James refers to it as a virtuous woman. In the ASV, the American Standard Version, a worthy woman. Other translations have uh, one of those type of modifiers used for wife there. And all of these are, are really good translations of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word uh, for excellent, the adjective excellent, is hayil. Right? And Hayil has a number of meanings as it's used throughout the Old Testament, right? throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. It means strength. It means capacity, it means nobility or noble, it means to be competent. The word hayil is also used of military might. It talks about a warrior's strength. Uh, um, it also refers to the strength of character. So it's not just physical strength, but strength of character, moral character, and capability. Now the phrase, excellent wife, is ashit hayil. And that phrase there that we translate an excellent woman means all of those things. A worthy woman, a noble woman, virtuous woman, a woman of strength, a woman of competence. We could say in all of those ways is, is how she is excellent and an excellent wife. She's righteous. Of course, she is 
wise. Now, it's interesting that with respect to woman in the scriptures, that phrase is only used one other time in your Bible. Can you guess what female character that is spoken of? It's Ruth. There's this word, Ashit Hayil, is used specifically of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3, right, when she is with Boaz, right, and she's, she's making her moves, you know, if you know the story, uh, and she reveals herself, and, and Boaz says to her that she is a worthy woman, that all of her fellow countrymen know her to be a worthy woman. Well, that phrase, worthy woman, in Ruth 3.11 is Ashit Hayil, same thing. When we come to Proverbs 31 that talks about an excellent wife, that is the phrase that it is using there. And it's going to enumerate a lot of other qualities that characterize an excellent wife. Proverbs 31 actually ends with a woman, a mother, giving counsel to her son. And that's really phenomenal and fascinating. Proverbs opens with a father teaching his son, ends with a mother now giving counsel to her son, And in the Hebrew canon, in the Hebrew scripture, Ruth actually follows Proverbs, right? So there's a lot of profound things that that has to say, which we will look at next week, right? So this excellent wife is the type of woman that every Christian man would want to marry. And this excellent wife is the type of wife that every Christian woman should aspire and strive to be. It should be that way. When we see something about the excellent wife here, we see something profound and beautiful. This is a father telling his son, that's what you need. That's what you need to seek after. That's what you need to go after. An excellent woman, why? An excellent wife is going to add to you strength. She's going to be your crown. She's going to give you social standing. She, she won't bring reproach to your name. Super important. She's the crown of her husband. Think about what a crown does. Think of a crown on a king. What does that symbolize? Symbolizes his kingship, his rulership, his authority. So in in what way then is a wife representative or symbolic of her husband's authority? Well, now Paul alludes to to this particular one when he talks about the woman being the glory of the man. We, We don't have time to get into that here. And it's a hotly debated and contested a concept, of you, as you can imagine, in the world today, right? Uh, what do you mean men are head over the woman? What? What's all about that? We're going to get there pretty soon on those topics. Not today, but soon, all right? So hold, hold on to yourself for that, all right? But in this way, the woman is the crown of the husband. An excellent wife becomes the adornment of her husband. She adorns her husband. How? She adorns him by him having now prominent social adornment. Her character, the way she is, the way she conducts herself, actually empower him to rule. Empower him to do and be what he is supposed to be. Her wise conduct and actions allow him to freely exercise his role. Again, she doesn't bring reproach upon him. When we look at Proverbs 31 in verse 23, it says that her husband, an excellent wife's husband, is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. He is known. How is he known? Because of her. Because of the way she is, the way she conducts herself, right, brings honor and respect to the man in social standing and his measure of authority and rulership in this ancient setting and time. This excellent wife that you see here in Scripture is the human reflection of Lady Wisdom. We have spent many weeks talking about Lady Wisdom. She is the focus of Proverbs. The letters from Solomon to his son in chapters 1 through 9, what is that but continual exhortation, continual pleas from the Father for the Son to embrace Lady Wisdom, to treasure her, to love her, even to marry her. Right? She's the personification of divine wisdom. She's the one that the son must pursue and go after. And that way he will be wise and be on wisdom's path. That is the only place he will find life and success and wealth and honor and wisdom will reward him. The excellent wife here then personifies and incarnates lady wisdom. Okay, this is why Solomon portrays her as this beautiful woman that the son is to look after. 
You want to teach a young man to go after wisdom? Paint a picture of her as this gorgeous woman that he's to chase after. When he has her, he's got everything he wants. Life, success, wealth, happiness, you name it. Okay? That's the instruction Solomon gives here. When the son gets wisdom, then here is what she will do for him. We looked at this in Proverbs chapter 4, but let's look at verses 8 and 9, and then I want you to see that with Proverbs 12, 4. Proverbs 4, 8, 9. Prize her highly, lady wisdom. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful what? Crown. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. What will Lady Wisdom do when the son marries her? She will place on him a beautiful crown. And that's what an excellent wife, a wise wife, will do. She'll honor her husband. She'll exalt her husband. She will adorn her husband as a crown on his head. Now, keep in mind that Proverbs, when it gives this instruction, assumes that the husband is also righteous. All right? That the husband is also wise. That the husband is, is godly. Right? He's pursuing wisdom. All right? So just because we're not speaking to men directly today, that doesn't exempt the husband from the pursuit of wisdom and all these other things, okay? This is kind of one of those aspects here when you're, when you're just kind of preaching one way, you know, everyone's sitting there going, well, what about the men? When are you going to say something nasty about the men too, you know? <laughs> when are you going to spank them as well? Well, I haven't even yet begun to spank the women yet on, on, from God's word here, or metaphorically, should I say, all right? But here, I want you to see that in excellent wife enhances a godly man's life in every way in every way she is a blessing and a benefit to her husband okay an excellent wife here is a reward for choosing wisdom's path this is what proverbs says here proverbs 18:22 he who finds a wife finds a good thing having a wife is a good thing a good wife, an excellent wife, and what? Obtains favor from the Lord. Think about that for a moment. Hold that intention. Proverbs nineteen fourteen: House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is where? From the Lord. Look at that. Obtains favor from the Lord, and she's from the Lord. Both of these then indicate that an excellent wife, a virtuous wife, this competent, worthy wife, is the reward of the righteous. She's from the Lord. How do you find this excellent wife? She's from the Lord. She's from the Lord. She's the reward of you pursuing wisdom, pursuing the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning and foundation of wisdom. This is why it is critical, dads, let me talk to you for a moment, that you teach your sons on how to find this excellent wife. How to find a good wife. Young men in this room who are not married, listen to me. It is your responsibility in life to find a good wife. All of Proverbs gives us this indication that finding a good wife is one of the most important things that you can do to have success in life. It's a gift from the Lord. She's from the Lord, and we've got to look for her. So dads, you've got to teach your sons how to find this woman. Change is going to show up. Notice it says, who finds a wife. Well, to find, you've got to be seeking, don't you? You've got to be looking. You've got to be evaluating. You've got to be assessing. Now, some of the things I'm going to share to you, maybe from your church upbringing, are probably not going to ring right to you, but I, I need you to suspend your church tradition and upbringing for what God's Word has to say concerning this. I shared a few weeks back that this aspect of knowing the will of the Lord falls into the category of this that the Lord has not commanded but has given us principles in, and we have the ability to make a, a free moral choice in this area. You choose who you're going to marry. God's not, you know, would that it's easy that just a halo appears over the man or woman you're supposed to marry, so, you know, that's the one, that's God's will. Anyone have that happen to them? Nobody, nobody. 
No angel appeared to me and said, Betsa is the one. Thou shalt take her as your wife. That would have been that would have resolved a lot in my heart back then. All right. We entered marriage young with lots of fear and trembling. All right. But no, we, we, we have free decision you and I get to make in this area. But we have principles from God's word that guide us, don't we? God's word tells us. So dads, you know, when you're instructing your sons who to marry, well, they got to be a Christian. Right? Yes, that, sh- that shouldn't even be up for debate. God's word absolutely commands that of a believer to marry another believer. It would be a sin to marry an unbeliever. Why? That you'd be unequally yoked. You're setting yourself up for a lot of hardship and heartache in life. The person you marry should, should share with you all the central things you hold to be true and believe about the faith. Otherwise, you're going to have major, major problems in your marriage. And Lord knows I've counseled many of, of, of spouses in this area, men and women, who's, who their spouse does not share similar beliefs. And it is a nightmare. Lots of heartache and pain. And certainly, physical attraction is an important thing you got to teach your sons. Now, we always go right in the church like, well, it's not just physical attraction. Well, let me just say something. Physical attraction is very important. Okay? It's kind of hard to want to get to know someone you're not physically attracted to and perhaps pursuing with the intent of maybe this could be your future mate. Right? Hopefully, all of you here can say, I am with the person I married now because I was physically and sexually attracted to them. There is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, not only is it important to be physically and sexually attracted to the person you desire to marry, it is actually essential to be then devoted and be faithful to that person when you do marry them. Physical and sexual attraction should continue when you're married. Like, it shouldn't stop, right, the moment you say, I do, right, and you're standing at the altar. It should not, okay? So it's an important factor, all right? So I don't want to diminish that in any way. We could talk a lot about that, right? But, But we know it's not the only thing, okay? But it isn't also only the spiritual because, you know, when, in my growing up, oh, you want a, a godly woman, a righteous woman, she has to be a prayer warrior, you know, forget about physical attraction. This, But we know someone could be a wonderful godly man or woman and you're just not physically attracted to them, right? So, you know, that's not, that's not the only thing. I, re- I remember <laughs> as I was studying this, it came to my mind just a, a story from, from back in youth group days, uh, we were at, at the skating rink, Seminole Skateway, uh, for one of their Friday night Christian nights there. And so I was with some friends, and some of the young ladies of the group were there. And this this one young lady who just, man, she just, my friend Ed, she loved my friend Ed. And she wanted all night to hold his hand and skate with him, right? <laughs> and she was a little homely looking, I, you know. Well, yeah, I'm trying to be gracious here, you know. <laughs> but I remember, I'm like, after a while, I was like, I was like, Ed, would you please skate with her, man? This girl's so into you. And he said, Dan, I'm sorry, I just can't get past her teeth. Now, <laughs> I know, I know. Listen, I laughed so hard, I fell on my face right there in the ice. But there's no physical attraction. And you had people, maybe that liked you, and you didn't like. Why? Because you weren't physically attracted to them. They might have been wonderful, godly, righteous men or women. You just weren't physically attracted to them. And guess what? That's okay. All right? So teach your kids that. That's an important element. It's just not the only deciding factor. And we know that a lot of people are in relationships today, in marriages that are not healthy and not good because Physical attraction was all that they had, was the most important thing. So they're with them, you know, they, they had sexual relations, maybe they got married, and now their marriage is miserable. Marriage is terrible. It's just, why? There was nothing else to it. Because that's not going to sustain a loving and healthy relationship, okay? When you fall out of love, then you're going to have some, some challenges. And if you're married to that person, then you're stuck, Right, if you want to honor the Lord, okay? Because look, here's, here's what Proverbs eleven twenty two says. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Think of that imagery for a moment. Think about 
a gold ring on a pig's snout. Picture that in a moment. And Solomon is saying, here's what that flashy, good-looking, beautiful woman is like who lacks wisdom, who lacks discretion and prudence. You're drawn in by the gold ring. She's beautiful. But we know Proverbs 31 is going to tell us that beauty is fleeting. It's going to fade away. She's not going to look like that in 40 years. Right? But you're so caught up with the flashy gold ring, you don't realize it's attached to a filthy swine. And that's what the, the woman who lacks discretion and lacks wisdom is like. So it can't just be physical attraction. There has got to be, there's got to be more, okay? What are some of the other things that we need to teach them? Well, again, we talked about her being a Christian. You got to ask a question, young men. Does she fear the Lord? Which scripture tells us is the beginning of wisdom. Now, you can reverse this for the opposite sex, all right? If you're a young lady in this room, though I'm not addressing this specifically to you, you should be asking similar questions like this. When, when a man does come courting you, all right, because maybe you exemplify these characters of an excellent woman and a good wife, and they're coming around you, you need to be looking at them and evaluating them as well, all right? So I'm not just saying it's all one-sided. Please don't misunderstand that, okay? Uh, these are the same conversations I would have with my own daughter. We're going to vet him fiercely, okay? Deep, deep evaluation, all right? So it's, it's good, right? But does she fear the Lord? Does she make wise decisions with her life? Or is she consistently making foolish decisions? Does she understand male-female roles from a biblical perspective? Or is her perspective informed by what the world says those roles are? Can she keep a home? Or does she despise domestic duties? Does she value femininity? Does she display it? Does she pay attention to her appearance? Is she respectful? Young men, if a woman doesn't respect you when you're dating her, better believe she's not going to respect you when you're married. Guess what? That's a non-starter. You can go see you. She may be gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous. She's not, gonna, she's not good wife material, if I want to use that language. Is she high maintenance? That's not a good choice, guys. It's not a good choice. Run. <laughs> See, even the ladies know this. Run for your life, right? <laughs> Does she tend towards laziness or is she a hard worker? How is her relationship with her family? That needs to be evaluated. How does she handle her money? Is she generous or is she stingy? Again, are you aligned fully on the central issues of the faith? Does she have a teachable spirit? Man, one of your primary responsibilities in leading your home and leading your spouse is you have to be able to teach them. Teach them God's word and other things. Are they teachable? Do they have humility of heart? By no means does this imply the woman is dumb and can't learn things on their own. Again, jettison worldly Ways of thinking about this stuff, okay? Because that's not what God's word is implying here. Again, we want our sons to make a wise choice about who they're going to marry. So we have to help them see, hey, it's great that you're physically attracted to her. Now let's look at all this other stuff as well. And you want to make sure that that young man is pursuing wisdom himself. Because if we believe that a good wife comes from the Lord, obtains favor from the Lord, and, and she's from the Lord, a prudent wife is from the Lord, then we have to teach them, in order to have that, you need to be pursuing wisdom yourself. Because I promise you, a woman who's, who is seeking wisdom and has the fear of the Lord is not going to look for a guy who is, doesn't fear the Lord and isn't seeking wisdom. And I would steer any young woman in this room who is seeking a mate away from a guy who doesn't love Jesus, doesn't fear the Lord, and doesn't go after wisdom. Okay? Because you're setting yourself up for heartache. Look, look at the opposite here of what this, this scripture is saying. An excellent wife is a crown on her husband, but the shameful wife. And she disgraces her husband. And we're going to get into that in a moment and bring shame to him and dishonor Look at that. It's like eating him away from the inside. That's not a good marriage. That's not a good way to be. In addition to this, dads, we got to teach our sons how to avoid sexual temptation and the forbidden woman that we're continually warned about in Proverbs. 
Sexual temptation abounds. It's fierce. It is relentless. It's everywhere. It is the continual ongoing temptation in a man's life, seducing him away from wisdom's way and trying to seduce him away from the wife of his youth. Seduce him away from the one he's made a covenant to. We got to teach our young men, our boys and our young men how to resist sexual temptation. That's what we're to do. Now, moms, where do you fit into this? Well, here's how you teach your sons. Not only are you giving them instruction like the father. Remember, it's not just the father teaching and instructing the kids. No, moms, of course, have this responsibility as well. But one of the most powerful ways you do that is by modeling the characteristics of an excellent wife. Reflecting that and embodying these qualities so that the son can see like, hey, that's what I need to look for. What I see in my mother and the qualities of an excellent woman, an excellent wife, are the qualities I need to pursue and look for in a godly woman. You're also modeling that for your daughters as well, right? Reflecting those qualities. Why? So that they can say, this is the kind of woman I would strive to be and would want to be in order to attract the man who is seeking after wisdom and a godly woman. Now, we have this contrast to the excellent wife and the shameful wife here. And it doesn't tell us in what ways she's shameful or disgraceful. But again, we look at other Proverbs and it'll give us the fuller picture of how a woman dishonors her husband, how she brings shame and suffering to the husband. The effect that she's going to have on her is it's going to be debilitating in nature, right? It's like rottenness to the bones, like cancer, which indicates to us that this man made a very poor choice in life. Okay, When you make the wrong choice in pursuing a wife, and you get one that brings shame to you, this is what she's going to do to you. It brings to mind to me the image of Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Remember that ending scene, right? When they're in the chamber with the Holy Grail and the old knight there that looks like he's about to keel over. I don't know, he's like a thousand years old or whatever. Right? And the Holy Grail is supposed to be the, the cup of Christ, the chalice of Christ, and you, you dip it in the fountain and you'll have eternal life and healing. Right? Remember, Indy's dad gets shot and he's trying to save him, but obviously the people that, have, that were holding them hostage are there as well. I think they're Nazis, if I'm not mistaken. Right? It's always the Nazis. They're bad guys, as, as, as they are. Right, But they're in that room, and the knight's telling them, and, and the chalice is there, but it's hidden amongst all these false uh, grails and chalices there. And he tells them they need to choose wisely because they choose the wrong one, and they die. And, and the lady character there, she is just, she's looking, and she chooses the most beautiful, right? The, the shiniest object. That's got to be the grail. That's the cup of a king. And she dips in the water, gives it to the other guy, and what ends up happening? Well, he shrivels up and dies, right? Rotten to the bone here, okay? What's the point here? That, that the, the, the one that was the grail was the most humble-looking one, right? It wasn't the flashiest and shiniest one there. So you choose poorly in a mate in life. According to Proverbs, that's like death. That's like death, all right? So this is what I want you to see here. We're going to look at how can she be shameful, and undermine her husband. She can be flirtatious. She can be unfaithful to her husband. Okay? Forgetting her marital covenant. We see that all in chapter 2. We see that in chapter 5 and on in all of Solomon's letters. How can she bring, bring shame to her husband? Well, yeah, she could be unfaithful to him. Yeah, that dishonors him. That disrespects him. Uh, that's going to cause him to lose social standing. She could be brash and loud mouth like the forbidden woman. She could be quarrelsome and contentious. She could lack discretion. She could be incompetent in mismanaging her household. She could bring him shame through her overall folly. In this way and others, she could bring pain to her husband. A woman who acts the fool, who shames her husband, feeds a process of decay in her husband. What is she doing? She is slowly and continually undermining his inward happiness and outward usefulness. A wife who's a continual nag, who's constantly bickering, what is she doing? She's eating a man from the inside out. She's rottenness to his bones. Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 
Now, the same could be true for a quarrelsome man, but that's not what we're talking about here today, okay? A wife who's always bickering, a wife who's always fault-finding, a wife who's always being argumentative is exhausting. She is a drain. She sucks the joy out of a marriage. Why? It's exhausting. It is exhausting that the man would rather, you know what, I'm going to just put my bed up there. My room's going to be on the corner of the house because it's the only place I can find peace. i got to get away from this, right? Or they go to their man cave or their garage or whatnot, right? Proverbs 19, 13, the second half. A wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Now, some of you are like, I like dripping of rain. I can go to sleep the dripping of rain. But that's not the point here. Think of a dripping rain on a rock. What does that do over time? It erodes the rock. You ever hear of Chinese water torture? All right, this is where they immobilize you, and they will drip just drops of water on the forehead for hours or days or weeks. You know what that has done, that kind of torture? It drives people mad. Like they literally go crazy, okay, because of this kind of torture. And that's the picture I get here when it talks about a quarreling wife being like that, a continual dripping of the rain. And some husbands have been driven crazy. Now, I don't want you to hear amening in the room here right now. It's your spouse sitting next to you. But some husbands have been driven crazy by that constant dripping of a contentious wife. This type of woman demolishes her home, her marriage, through her words, through her foolish actions. Women who badmouth their husbands in front of others, who, who talk down to their husbands and disrespect them in front of others. Okay? That is a woman who brings shame to her husband and dishonors them and is not a crown for her husband. Okay? Not, ought not to be that. An excellent wife encourages her husband, builds her husband up. In front of others is esteeming him highly even if he isn't exemplifying all of the virtues he should of a godly and righteous man. And that is what makes this very difficult for a lot of ladies. Because it becomes, well, my husband is not this way, and they feel entitled to act a certain way in regards to their husband. And I want to tell you that that is wrong and it's sinful. And if that has been your your attitude in, res- in respect to your husband, we're calling you to repentance in this area, okay? Because that quarrelsome, a contentious woman, right, tears her husband down. She's actually destroying her home, which we're going to look at here in just a few moments here. Husbands, if you're dealing with a spouse like this, you need to lovingly and firmly lead them towards repentance in this area. Here's a challenge in the church. A lot of times we call out men's sin, but we don't call out women's sin. And women are not angels, just like men are not angels. We're all sinners. We all have this, this aspect of our, the vestiges of the sin nature, right, that still cling to our flesh, that drive us to sinful behavior and action that we need to mortify that we need to crucify, that we need to put to death by the Spirit, as Romans 8 encourages us to do. So ladies, evaluate your life. Are are you building your husband up? Are you the excellent wife, right, who is a crown to your husband, or, or are you tearing him down from within here? Look at the instruction that Peter, the apostle of the Lord, gives to wives in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 4. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting off on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now I want you to notice that conduct is mentioned twice there. It's, it's saying, listen, those of you may be, some of you may not be in situations where your husband's a believer. He doesn't fear the Lord. He's not pursuing wisdom. But guess what? By your conduct, you're going to be reflecting something to this, to your husband here. And you need to subject yourself to him. 
I don't have time to get into all that that means, submit. But guess what? God's word, when it says submit, means submit, all right? That shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation, all right? And it also says, right, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, there's something about the conduct of the wife that has a profound impact and effect on her husband. Now, this isn't rocket science. You know that. But what Scripture is pulling for here is, right, wise conduct, righteous conduct, pure conduct. The adornment, not just external adornments, not telling women here you can't wear jewelry. I know some extreme Pentecostal churches take this passage and go, women, long skirts, cannot cut their hair, you know, no makeup. Please put makeup on. Please wear jewelry. It's not telling you not to do that, okay? What's more important, though? Inward adornment. And what's the inward adornment that is pleasing and precious in the sight of the Lord? A loud, brash, nagging, contentious spirit? No. A gentle and quiet spirit. One who is submitted first and foremost to the Lord and then to her own husband. That has a profound impact on a marriage. Don't ever minimize that. Okay? Now, we're going to look at Proverbs 31 next week. But it's not a stretch to say that, all right, we're talking about an excellent wife. That becomes a, a standard by which every woman thinks that she has to measure herself against this. And I've got to, if, if I'm not that, I'm not a Christian woman. I'm not pleasing to the Lord. You know, it's not that at all. I, I want you to see the, the blessing next week of Proverbs 31. But it's important because... A lot of women's ministries and women's Bible studies, when they come talk to talk about this, it becomes a list of do's and don'ts, you know, and excellent wife, my gosh, she's got to run an enterprise. An excellent wife has got to make wool or clothing from wool, an excellent wife, all that stuff in Proverbs 31, an impossible standard, right, to meet. It's, It's not why that chapter exists. But there is a charge, there is a responsibility, women, especially to you wives here, in Proverbs and in Scripture, a charge for every one of you to exemplify and personify Lady Wisdom. Yes, is what all of Proverbs charges us to do. Again, we're speaking to women. When you do that, you'll be prized highly by the man who seeks wisdom and therefore is also seeking you. In order to personify wisdom, you have to fear the Lord. It's the foundational thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. But the wise woman is a builder. Proverbs 14.1 tells us, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Let that sink in for a moment. The wise woman builds her house. Now, it's talking, not talking about the architecture of, of a physical structure of a house, all right? You know that. It's talking about the family. She's building a home. She's building her family. In that way, she is an architect of, of, of the, the, the vitality, the vibrancy, the thriving of her home. She is building. She is outfitting every room, making it habitable for her, her husband and for her children if she has them so that her home is a place of joy and peace and a flourishing and a thriving uh, amongst all of the familial relationships that exist in the home. That's how a wise woman builds her home. Through the skillful employment of wisdom, she is building it out. She's ordering her home in such a way where, like, wisdom's on display. You can see that this is a wise woman because of how she has ordered her home. This is the charge given to women by God's word here. This is what an excellent wife is and does. She builds her house. It's what we find Lady Wisdom doing in Proverbs chapter 9, the first verse. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven Pillars. Wives, you have the single most important role to play in your husband's life. And I'm, I know, yes, the Lord. You have the single most important role to play in your husband's life. Your decisions, your conduct, your actions in wisdom or folly will make or break your husband both in the home 
and in the community. Next week, when we look at Proverbs 31, you're going to see the impact, the effect of an excellent wife, not just in the home, but how that bleeds out to be a blessing to her community. How do you build your home? Of course, seeking wisdom. But you also build your home by displaying the fruit of the Spirit, by giving your husband love and support. You build your home by making it an environment of peace, not a war zone. I've said this before. Home is not a war zone. Home is not the place to battle. Home's the refuge. Home's base camp. Home's the place you refuel and recharge and rest to go out and do warfare. But because of argumentation and contention in, in the home, the, the home becomes a war zone. But it's not supposed to be that. You make it an environment of peace where familial relationships thrive. You build your home, and building your home is of greater value than anything else you can do in life. Now, I know that's not what the world says. What does the world say to our girls? That's not, that's nice, you want to be a mom. That's nice, you want to be a wife. But go pursue your career. You know what, go do what men do because women can do anything a man can do and better. Isn't that what our world says? Don't buy those lies. There's no higher calling than being an excellent wife and a godly mother. There isn't. There isn't. That's not to say that a woman can't go do those things and, 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 and run a business and, and, and pursue a career. Absolutely. But the higher calling is not those things. Their higher calling is first and foremost to be a woman who fears the Lord. And we'll see that in Proverbs 31. And a woman who pursues the call, the role that God has given a woman in this world to be a helpmate to her husband, to build her home, to raise godly children in the knowledge and fear of the Lord is the supreme call of the universe. Sisters, I, I just want to encourage you in that area. The, this world has sold our women a, a pack of lies that they've believed, and it has just been nothing but the disordering of society. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. God's word is truth, and it's true when it tells us these things. When you personify wisdom as an excellent wife, you are as wisdom to your husband. You crown him. You are well-being and life to him. You preserve him. So all those blessings that it speaks of lady wisdom bestowing on the young man who pursues us, that's what the woman is as to the husband who is wise, when she is wise, when she is operating this way. And men, if you have an excellent wife, guess what you're supposed to do? You better treasure her, man. You better cherish her. Right? We're instructed to treasure and cherish lady wisdom. We better be cherishing our wife. If she's adorned you with a crown that gives you standing in the house of the Lord, in relationships, and in community, you better treasure her, right? Because if you have her, you have in her a strong helper that will empower you to fulfill your godly call as a husband. Now we're wrapping this part up here. Proverbs 31.10 asks the question, An excellent wife, who can find? An excellent wife, who can find? Guess what the answer is? No one, yeah. No one, no one, right? Because Proverbs 31 is going to give us a, a list of perfect attributes, right, that no one can completely measure up to. Okay? Yet, that should not prevent every woman from striving to be that in their life. But you're not going to be that by nature. It isn't in your nature to pursue those things, right? Why? Because sin has complicated this whole mess. Sin has distorted male and female roles and relationships, right? Sin messes things up in marriages. How many of you can say amen to that, all right? Sin screws a lot of things up, which is why we can't pursue this the way we would want to. Men act like tyrants in their home, and women pursue folly instead of wisdom, which is why we come back to it starts with the fear of the Lord and understanding that, okay, we can't do this by nature. Well, guess how we do it? We do it by grace. We do it by grace. It's a work of grace because true wisdom doesn't come naturally. We're not going to get it with earthly wisdom. We need the wisdom from above, which is why you and I need Christ. 
Because we will all fall short of the standards that God has established. We will all fail to measure up to these things. In that story of Ruth that I mentioned earlier, that's the only woman who is referred to as an excellent woman, a worthy woman in Scripture. She's identified that way by Boaz. But it's interesting how when Ruth first meets Boaz, she doesn't consider herself that. She doesn't identify herself as an excellent woman or a worthy woman. She considers herself a lowly foreigner, a strange woman, a stranger that should not even be esteemed by anyone. This is how she saw herself, right? A foreigner. She was outside of the covenant. But guess what? Grace brought her in. Grace redeemed her. Where now Boaz could say, you are a worthy woman. In the eyes of everyone, this is what you are. Then we find her listed as a descendant of the Messiah, right? In Matthew chapter 1. Beautiful. This is what God has done for us. I'll close with this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 26 through 30. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Because of him, because of him, we are in Christ Jesus. And in relation to Christ, gets what everyone in this room is, man or woman. You're his husband. You and I are the bride of Christ. I know, men, that's kind of uncomfortable. We don't want to be thought of that way. In relation to Christ, that is what we are. We are his bride. He is our husband, right? And because we're his bride... He is going to perfect and present us to himself without spot, without blemish, blameless, as an excellent wife. Why? He's our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. Makes us holy. He makes us an excellent bride for him. But we're not that by nature. When he chose us, we were nothing like that. We were foolish. We were the despised. We were the weak things of the world. But so that no man could boast, what did he do? He set his love and affection on us. Christ Christ dies for us so that by grace we could be in Christ. And then we could be that excellent bride of Christ. We'll be with him on that day, presented before him in glory. We're not that by nature. We are that by grace, brothers and sisters. So that means we can walk these things out right here and right now for the glory of our God.